but we'll see. I'm surprised. I was waiting because for the last, uh, this was supposed to be like an improvisational thing, but for the last 10 episodes, you've come in with like a joke or a story ready to go. So I'm expecting, but I, I'm glad it's getting uh, back to its roots of, um, of, of, of the boys, the boys talking here. No, I, I just see that you're eating. I asked you what it was and you said it's watermelon. So how are you enjoying that watermelon? It's good. We drew it. It was, uh, this one was 15 pounds and, and the last two were 19 and a half pounds. So how long they, does it take to grow a watermelon? They're uh, like four months. Jeez. And then it's just gone like that. And then it's gone. Although we had another one that, uh, we got three more out there, but we had one that was almost ripe. And I went out there yesterday, the day before, and there's a dash in it. So you can't use that. And I was like, I'm going to leave it on. You can leave it on till it's past ripe, collect the seeds. But then it started to bubble. And I read this thing about how uh, if your watermelon starts to bubble, it can explode because essentially it's fermenting and it's releasing carbon dioxide. And at some point it just might explode. So I had to get rid of that watermelon. Where do, how do you do so many questions? Like, what does a bubbling watermelon look like? What does an exploding watermelon look like? How do you dispose of an exploding watermelon? Is it just going to explode in the dumpster somewhere else? Or is that I like a it... weapon that you could use to, to, I mean, could do a whole I... podcast on that. We, we could do a whole podcast on exploding watermelons. Exploding watermelons. And I think that might be the uh, the name of this episode, Exploding Watermelons. All right. I like it. I like it. Uh, welcome to the Run Pint Options Exploding Watermelon episode, <laughs> college football podcast where two friends talk football while one friend enjoys, in this case, because it's still technically before five o'clock, a nice seltzer water. Uh, and a choice. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. Uh, we're recording on August 23rd. Remember, you can send us an email by writing to runpintoption at gmail.com. And as usual, I am joined by my co-host, Terry Trondard. So, Terry, uh, here we are. We are, today is Wednesday. Week zero starts on Saturday. We are four days away, technically, from the college football season. Hard to believe. It is hard to believe, and I, I always get this feeling when, like, football is starting, whether it's preseason, but especially week zero, that it's like, it it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right to be in the middle of summer and have it be 80 degrees out and, like, be watching football. Um, and it's it's always a little bittersweet, too, because it's like, on the one hand, uh, there's this thing that is now, I like football, I like watching it, I can start, you know, analyzing it, have more structure in my life in terms of how I cover it, but then also, like, Oh, uh, it's 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 exhausting, and you know winter's on the way, and I have to start watching fifty games a week. But um, uh, we do have a little bit of summer left, even if football is starting. Um, so we'll get the best of the best of both worlds for a bit. Um, and yeah, we go into week zero, which is again, I, I still don't really understand. It's like sort of real football, but sort of isn't. Um, and do you want to tell our tell our three listeners what week zero is? Why that's a thing? Week zero is a remnant of an old NCAA rule uh, where the season wasn't allowed to start until next weekend unless you had a special exemption to play in week zero because you needed an extra home game to offset your revenue um, for having to fly to Hawaii if you were playing at Hawaii. And now other teams get special dispensation to play. Um you know, the big matchup this week that we'll get into in the pick sits as it returns. Um, 
is uh, Notre Dame is playing Navy over in Dublin, Ireland. You, but you also have conference games this week. You have, uh, I think, two conference USA games, uh, one of which we'll be picking. Um, and so it's it's expanded. The FCS also has uh, a showcase or two games. Uh, one of them we'll be picking later. So week zero, return of football, real but football. But if you play in... If you play in week zero, doesn't it mean you either get an extra buy or your season ends a week early or something like that to offset yep. it? Yeah, you get uh, two buys unless you are, again, if you're going to Hawaii, um, then you are allowed to schedule a 13th game. Um, so a essentially seventh home game for most schools um, so that they can offset that revenue of having to fly out there. And so yeah. that is one of the quirks of college <laughs> football. Um before we jump in, this episode is all about the season preview. Not going to hide the ball on that one. But before we jump in there, Terry, uh, we're going to argue because we had a, a spirited, well, at least on my part, it was a spirited I don't think, conversation. I don't think it was spirited or an argument. I think I, I brought up something and you you were kind of I bashed it. shut it down. You I, lectured I, me about I it, which you're going to do here as well. Down. But. I am going to lecture you. Uh, yeah, we talked about this in the last episode on, on the Pack 4 um, and there's some reporting out there that there, and there is still some reporting out there that ESPN offered, uh, it was a $30 million per school per year back in 2022. And I said, I was skeptical of it. Uh, and you sent me an article, um, last night, uh, where another media piece, um, you know, pulled from it and, and showed again, reported that. Um, and then I lectured because all of these media pieces revolve around a single anonymous source medium post uh, article from an Oregon football writer um, who says that he has an anonymous source that told him that the Pac-12, then Pac-12, back in 2022 was negotiating with ESPN. ESPN offered $30 million. The Pac-12 told them we want $50 million, and ESPN said goodbye. Um, and I'm skeptical because it is a single anonymous sourced article that nobody has been able to independently confirm. Um, and all of the media reports out there rely on this one guy's article. So I'm skeptical, Terry. That's all. I, I, I thought it was an ESPN writer. Was it an Oregon writer? It was an Oregon football writer on his... Uh, he has a um, his own website and medium thing that you can pay for. Uh, I mean, he's a legit, don't get me wrong, he's a legit Oregon football insider. Um, but nonetheless, he is the only one with this reporting. Besides, there's a sports business journal person who also wrote about this uh, two or three days before, but his did not include any sources whatsoever. Um, so all of the media reports that have since come out, including Sports Illustrated, None of them have mentioned their confirmation of this. All of them cite to this one single Oregon Football Insider's uh, original media report on, I believe it was August 10th. Um, and so I, I just, I find it weird, Terry, that out of, you know, I wouldn't expect ESPN to write this because ESPN was negotiating um, with the Pac-12. But out of all of the athletic, all of the Sports Illustrated, all of the local college football reporters in all of the Pac-12 cities, arguably some of whom probably have the best personal relationships with um, the universities in some cases. None of them have reported this. All of the reports out there rely on this one guy's single anonymous source report. Um, and I just find it weird. And, and the other reason I find it weird 
And I'm again, I'm not saying that it's not true. What I'm saying is I think that at the very least there's more because there's a reason why this has not been reported elsewhere. Uh, there's one person that I can think of who benefits from this reporting, and that is the current Pac-12 commissioner, uh, who is essentially the person that people are blaming for the conference falling apart. And that's because if he's able to go out there, uh, anonymous source-wise, uh, because it's got to be somebody, it has to be a university president or high level in the Pac-12 to know that this deal existed, um, possibly, and was engaging in the negotiations. So if he is, and I'm not saying he is, but if he could be the anonymous source in this guy's report, um, and he, whatever it is goes out there and says, yeah, there was a, an offer on the table that was equal to the Big 12, the president's shut it down, asked for $20 million more, and ESPN walked away. Well, no longer it is, is it his fault that the Pac-12 fell apart without a media rights deal, but it makes the presidents look like they were self-serving all along, which easily they could be. But I think that it's weird that this hasn't been independently confirmed by anyone else, and there is no other source available. So would he would he not... I mean, why would that not? Because that's interesting. Because I thought it would have re- it reflects even worse on the Pac-12. But you're, you're saying um, I this, think this deal wasn't offered to the commissioner. It was offered to the schools, or was well, it the former no, commissioner? I, it it would have been offered to the commissioner. He went to the schools, is how the report goes, and the presidents of the schools who have to ratify a media deal uh, said we want fifty million, not thirty million. Um, and so that's the way it went. So they didn't. The presidents didn't vote to accept the deal, and so the commissioner could, you know. And again, he's not coming out and saying this, um, but it has to be somebody very high level, close to him in all likelihood, I would guess, who would be this anonymous source. If you take the report as true, then what it looks like is the commissioner did his due diligence. He negotiated a deal that was on par with what the Big 12 was getting. Um, And the university presidents are the one that said no. And so it was not his fault that he couldn't get a media deal negotiated with media partners. It was the fact that the university presidents were being too greedy. Um, And then you look at it and you see the fact that eight schools bolted, um, some of them for a media deal that essentially was is going to be about the same amount of money in the Big 12 and some that's going to be closer to that $50 million mark, if not more, uh, will be more that the big 10 got and you look at it and you say, well, maybe some of those presidents, i.e., you know, Oregon, Washington in particular, um, maybe they were looking at it and not really caring about the future of the PAC 12. Maybe this isn't actually George's fault, the commissioner, maybe it's the university president's fault. And the reality is, as we've talked about, it is his fault, but it also is the university presidents and the athletic directors because they're greedy. Um, And that's what this entire thing comes down to. The death of the Pac-12 or to the diminished Pac-4 is is nothing but a story of greed. Yeah, I mean, I I think, um, you know, I just brought it up again because it's been, as you said, making the rounds on um, a lot of different sites. But um, insofar as, you know, they're still referencing this one source, um, you know, then again, I, I would agree with you. I don't think it, it does um, lend any more credence to the theory. So um, a little odd that it's, it's been steamrolling on some legitimate, pretty legitimate sites, but, um, you know. Uh, and, and, and let's be but, clear, I'm not, I'm not questioning 
the validity of it. I just think that it it's pretty weird. And I think that the likely place is that there's more that that's to be seen. Um, maybe this deal wasn't as clear with the SPN. Maybe it was a loose deal. Uh, maybe the university presidents had good reason to say no. Um, and regardless, thinking about who would know this information that obviously would be at the highest echelons of each of the universities as well as um, the conference itself. It, who does it benefit if this is true and comes out? I think it benefits the the long history story of, well, you know, it was the Pac-12 members killed the Pac-12. It wasn't the commissioner's mm-hmm. fault um, yeah. necessarily. So you know, that's my yeah. thought. But the fact that it can't be has not been, at least to this point, um, shown to be true, aside from this anonymous source, uh, says to me that there's at the very least a lot more to this story. Yeah, no, I would agree. I, I don't know if we're going to get the rest of the story anytime soon. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think it it just it's an easy piece also for people to believe because it adds to, you know, the story of like you said, the, you know, the Pac-12 being dumb and all this, you know, but it's, it's, you know, we've, we've already spent plenty of time talking about how poorly the Pac-12 has been managed, but we will have spent a lot more. The commissioner, especially. And, and um, so, you know, obviously if, if this did happen and this was a deal that was turned down, then, you know, it looks pretty foolish in hindsight, but you're right. I think there are reasons to question it and let's wait till more information comes out and they, you know, the, the Pac-12 never had, for for years hasn't had a good media deal um with with anyone so um you know the notion that they even got an offer that was like that is is also you know something you would wonder about because i don't think you know maybe a decade ago they were in good position but the last few years i don't think anyone would have been rushing to to uh give more money to the pac-12 so um, you know, uh, we'll see how it all plays out and curious to see, um, you know, if anyone can f- refutes this or comments more on it. But it's such a weird, you know, um, set of, uh, you know, insiders and closed doors in college football that, you know, who, who knows? I mean, and like you said, ESPN is, you know, part of all this, so they're not going to comment on it anytime soon. So, um, the, but the bottom line, regardless of why this is where we are, where we're stuck talking about the pack four <laughs> and their demise. So, uh, onward, and that is onward. more more time uh, than we're going to spend on previewing the pack twelve. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> but this is our preview episode, Terry. Um, the AP poll is out, the coaches poll is out, conference polls, our media polls are out, and we are getting ready for week zero. And the two-time defending champion University of Georgia Bulldogs are looking for a three-peat and start as the number one team in the country. Uh, Your Michigan Wolverines, number two, Ohio State, number three, Alabama, number four, USC, five, Tennessee. Set, oh, I'm sorry. That's my rankings because my rankings are better than the APs. Jerry. LSU, number five, sir. Yeah, well. We'll get into that. Uh, LSU 5, USC 6, <laughs> Penn State 7, Florida State 8, Clemson 9, and rounding out the top 10, the University of Washington, the University of Tennessee is not in the top 10 of the AP poll, although as I alluded to, they are in mine. Terry, I want to start off with this. Out of the teams that can make the playoff, I have a list of 13. 
that I think can make the playoff. And I think that that is where we start this conversation. Um, And so the teams that I think that can make the playoff in order of most likely to least Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama, USC, Tennessee, Utah, LSU, Clemson, Oregon, Notre Dame, TCU, and Texas. And the reason for those is a combination of skill and schedule. Um, There's a lot to break down here. One of the things already that is getting a lot, um, you know, Texas is number 11 in the AP poll. There's a lot of hype around Texas as usual uh, with the twin yours, Arch Manning, dual headed quarterback. Um, You know, obviously the question here, Georgia, can they repeat Michigan, Ohio State? Can they both get in again? And a lot of people are high on the LSU Tigers, but I don't think we have to go back very far to see LSU. um, Sure, they surprised they beat Alabama, but they also got pretty dominated by Tennessee and Georgia last year. So there's a lot here, Terry. Where do you want to start? Yeah, I mean, obviously, Georgia, you know, you mentioned the three-peat. And, you know, I, I haven't done my picks yet. I don't know if I will. It's hard for me to it's hard for me to make picks in college football because um, you, you, it's it's easy and annoying to just pick the same teams to, to win every year. At the same time, college football is a sport where most of the same teams win every year. Um, so, like you said, Georgia looking for the three-peat. And I don't think we've seen a three-peat. I, I mean, I don't even think Alabama had a three-peat. Uh, in the last few decades have we ever seen a three-peat or it has been many many decades since we have seen a three-peat um you know miami did not do it nebraska did not do it and both in their heydays um you know i think we have to go back outside of what we would argue as the era of modern college football um back to the dominance of Oklahoma in the 50s and, of course, Army um, before that. But it's not something, even with the most elite dynasties, Alabama over the last, you know, 15 years um, has not done it. And there are a lot of reasons why. And Georgia's turnover uh, is one of the modern reasons why they've had a massive amount of NFL talent drafted. Um, And then they also, of course, lost longtime leader uh, Stetson Bennett, uh, who is now gone pro after graduating so there's a lot of reasons why we haven't seen that happen um and i I think it's a major challenge thing that works for georgia uh aside from having to play you know auburn tennessee uh and the sec championship game um their schedule is relatively easy and the reality is here if they handle the regular season and go undefeated they're probably in the playoff and if they lose, they slip up someone along the way. All they have to do is win the SEC. Um, and so there's there's a mulligan there for them. And they obviously won't be given the benefit of the doubt for the most part and in large ways like Alabama has over the last decade. So the door is open uh, and probably our best chance to see a three-peat that we've actually seen in, you know, 50 years. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I, I think, you know, they, they have to be the favorite at this point, but... Um, tough task to accomplish. Like you said, they lose uh, Stenson Bennett. They also lose Todd Munkin, which I, I think shouldn't be uh, underestimated. I mean, I, I think he did a phenomenal job uh, coordinating that offense. I'm really interested to see what he does with Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. But um, they just named Carson Beck their starting quarterback, who, um, you know, I'm not going to judge a book by its cover, but, you know, the picture that ESPN used for him wasn't particularly flattering, number one. 
Uh, he's been there a while. He's been there since uh, 2020, so he knows the coach. He knows the system. Um, but at the same time, he, he's not a guy that's had a ton of playing time or a guy that um, was able to, to wrestle away the starting job at any point when he had the opportunity to. So, um, you know, uh, that is something that I think is, is a story to watch. Now, it is it is a pretty user-friendly uh, system to play for because they are and always will be a defensive first team. Um, but, you know, I, I think, you know, there are question marks there when you uh, lose that level of leadership and just experience that Stetson Bennett had. I mean, the dude played football forever. I mean, he was like a six-year senior. So, um, and and he played phenomenal in, in, in the playoffs last year. So, um, but like, yeah, like you said, I, I think they would certainly be the favorite. Um, as as a, a Michigan fan, I'd love to know if we're having a coach this year. Um, that would, that would, uh, that would uh, significantly impact my um, my predictions and also just my feelings about uh, Michigan for the season moving forward um, in terms of, you know, the, the sanctions and, you know, the NCAA is such a joke. I mean, the way people teams have to self-punish and hope that the NCAA won't punish them, it's so arbitrary and stupid, but whatever. And then Ohio State's been an interesting team the past few years, being so close, so on the brink, but um, not being able to, to pull ahead uh and and not you know not winning in Michigan but in, in in not being able to beat Michigan even but in terms of the college football playoff that hasn't particularly mattered um I you know I still think Ohio State at their game can play with anyone and you know if without looking at schedules or conferences if you if you had to ask me what my pick was for for the two best teams in the championship I would go probably Georgia over, over Ohio State but um you know they, they need to like Georgia needed to a few years ago Ohio State needs to uh, figure out how to finish these games. And um, so, you know, I think, again, a, a couple of talented teams that deservedly are at the top of the uh, top of the list, and but some question marks there. And then, of course, it's it's amazing that, you know, we, we haven't even mentioned Alabama yet. Alabama sitting at four is like, uh, you know, that's like as, as bad as it gets for a Nick Saban coach team. But um, there will always be in the mix as long as uh, Saban is there. So I don't know what, what your thoughts are on, on any of those squads. Well, first, let me correct myself and say Oklahoma, despite having a 47-game winning streak back in the 50s, only had back-to-back titles. Uh, you'd either go back to Minnesota um, in the in the 30s. You could argue Army. That was during the war. Um, so three-peats are extremely, extraordinarily rare. We're looking back, you know, almost 90 years now. Um, you know, I I will say that of my, my, my picks here um, are, I expect Georgia... Uh, to go undefeated, um, and then Michigan number two. I have Alabama at number three, uh, USC at number four, and then I have a Georgia-Bama rematch and championship game. And I think Alabama can can again put the pieces together. But this is probably one of the biggest question mark teams that Nick Saban has had uh, in the last um, ten years. And so it'll be interesting to see what happens. Of course, Alabama has to play LSU. They have to play Tennessee. Um, they get you know, both those games at home this year. Uh, Alabama has to play Texas, which we haven't touched on Texas that much uh, yet, but I, I think that Texas uh, has got, again, a lot of hype and not a lot of evidence to to support that hype um, aside from on paper. So it, it will be interesting to see what Alabama is able to do with a tough schedule. Um, of course, they still have the game against A&M as well. So there, there are a lot of if you look at Georgia's schedule and you say, well, there's a mulligan available to them, should they need it? Should they come out and have a similar 
um, game to what they had against Kent State or Missouri last year, but they actually slip up um, and lose one. You know, Alabama has the ability to have a mulligan because of the strength of their schedule. But the issue for them, as we saw last year, is a loss to LSU can mean that you don't make the SEC championship game. And so the West um, could, could be a little more complicated for Alabama. Um, you know, aside from from that, I think if we're going again to, to what I see is teams that could make the college football playoff, not necessarily teams that can win a national championship. Uh, the Pac-12 in their last year is actually in, in good shape for the ability to send a team. Um, USC is returning Caleb Williams, Lincoln Riley again, clicking. Um, they were one game away from making the playoff. Of course, and they lost to Tulane in the Cotton Bowl as well. Um, you have Utah, which is, again, uh, I think underrated, despite the fact that they're the returning conference champion. Uh, and you have Oregon, um, and Oregon is going to return Bo Nix. And, yeah. you know, it, there is a lot of talent in those three teams. Um, and so I think Pac-12 is, and especially also with getting rid of divisions, is unfortunately probably the strongest that they have been, and this is their final year. Yeah. So interesting your thoughts there. And for yeah, so I would um uh you know, you didn't mention Ohio State there, Mr. Fan of the Big Ten doesn't really shock me. Although, you know, they are gonna have an easier schedule than Alabama's gonna have, which, you know, I I think so. I I, I would again reiterate that I, you know, I, I'm I'm not expecting Ohio State to not not be in the mix. Um, but I would I would agree. I think look, the Pac twelve is very strong right now. Um we'll see. I mean, USC Oregon. Uh, Utah and uh, and as a UCLA writer, I have to add UCLA will probably, um, you know, they they are at risk of sort of uh, knocking each other off, as is often the case as the Pac-12. But I, I would, I would, I would not be surprised if USC um, made it into the playoff uh, and um, you know Caleb Williams to have another Heisman like year. The, the, the problem, the problem is, you know. We 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 know what Lincoln Riley coach teams are. You know they're going to make the playoff and they're going to lose because they they can't play defense and or they you know come apart from a team perspective at a key time. So um, just going back to Alabama really quickly, what I'll say is um, you know they we'll see what happens with their QB battle. Um, I believe they brought in Tyler Buckner from Notre Dame. I could be wrong, but um, but Jalen Milrow uh, is a guy who. Um, is we saw a little bit of him last year in the AM game. He didn't wow, but he's he's the first true running QB Alabama has had in in since uh Jalen Hurts. And um that that could be a good thing for their offense. That could help boost the running game. I, I don't think Alabama is better when they rely on the quarterback too much. And that's what they they've had to do with Bryce Young over the past few years and even to a tongue of below at a certain point. So um they could get back to playing uh quote unquote Alabama football with Jalen Milrow and and you know, LSU won by a point in overtime. I, I wouldn't expect that at home. I wouldn't expect uh, that to repeat if, if you were going to ask me. But um, the problem with Alabama is, um, as you know, the last few years, they're not playing the level of disciplined Alabama football that we got to know from them in the early 2010s. They're, they're, first of all, their offensive um, line uh, has been having issues. Um, they're... Um, they haven't the worst part they haven't had any wide receiver since um Jameson Williams kind of step up and be a be a field stretcher which is crazy for them they always have one guy that can do that um and they've they've been undisciplined and and they haven't 
played well on the road, right? Like these are all things that like early coach Nick Saban teams like pride prided or road, I don't know, prided themselves on. And so that's been an issue for them. Um, so we'll see if they get those issues fixed, but I am curious to see if they sort of get back to that more sort of running the football, physical type football um, from uh, that, that we know from them. Um, and then, so yeah, the, I mean, I think that that rounds out, you know, the top of the list. And I, I would, you know, I would agree with you about USC. I think they, they, they can get in there. Um, and so, uh, you know, moving forward, you know, Penn State is ranked number seventh here and you do not have them in your list of teams that could make the playoff. I think that depends on um, how you use the verb could, because I think they, they could, but I don't think they're going to because, you know, uh, we've seen, we know what's going to happen with a James Franklin coach team. They're going to, uh, you know, start strong and then they're going to uh, lose 33-27 to Ohio State and, um, you know, uh, things of that nature. So, and um, finish the season with a couple losses uh, to rank teams on the road. Um, so moving forward here, uh, Brendan, I'll, I'll toss it to you. Who would you like to discuss next? Well, I would just add on the Pac-12, one team that we did not mention that I think um, deserves mentioning after having one of their best seasons um, in a long time uh, is Oregon State. And obviously, Oregon State, out of the four left behind, um, is got a lot to play for. And, uh, you know, I think that they could be a, a sleeper Cinderella to make the Pac-12 championship game, even if I think USC um is going to be the Pac-12 champion, but they have a lot to play for. They beat Oregon last year. Um, so for sure, that's going to be an interesting storyline. You know, Penn State, I agree. I mean, Penn State, I'm not sold on the talent. They have, you know, they have talent. Uh, they have a very talented sophomore class. Um, they're young. They're not proven. James Franklin is James Franklin. And at the end of the day, they've got to play Michigan and Ohio state. And so Penn state is going to get 10 wins uh, and they're going to lose. There's two losses are going to be by, you know, an average of 30 points uh, to Michigan and Ohio state. I mean, that's just the reality of where they are. They're not um, at that consistency at that talent level. And I, I feel the same about Florida state. I mean, you point to people now will point to Florida state's win against LSU last year. Well, both of those teams were incredibly mediocre in that game. Um, and I think that there's a lot of, you know, uh, post-correction bias here where we look back and we say, wow, LSU ended up beating Alabama and went in the SEC West and Florida State beat them. You know, I mean, from that point, week one last year to this point this year, I, I just don't buy it. Um, although I think Florida State and Clemson should be a great uh, battle for the ACC. Um and they play each other in a regular season as well um, as possibly, you know, playing each other in the ACC championship game. But I think, you know, I I just I, I can't buy into the LSU, Penn State, Florida State um, kind of wagons that we're seeing. And and nor if we're going to shift, let's shift a little bit to the Big 12 because they produced, of course, the surprise last year with TCU um, and TCU lost Matt Studgen. Uh, and, you know, Kansas State was the Big 12 champion last year, also a surprise team. Um, both of them, uh, you know, are going to have to replace a fair amount, which is, I think, leading to some uh, prophecy about, well, this is really Texas's time to emerge. When you look at Sarkeesian's been there now for several years, he's got two elite quarterbacks. Um, they're going to have to replace Bijan Robinson, but 
you know, they've got a bunch of five star and four star blue chip recruits. Um, the fact is, we haven't seen Texas really produce that much. They beat, they destroyed Oklahoma, who also has a strong selection bias right now. Both of them in their final years of the Big Twelve and this new Big Twelve. Um, and I, I just I can't buy that this is Texas and Oklahoma's to lose, especially when the conference hasn't been Texas or Oklahoma's for the last two years. Um, so I think, you know, TCU and Kansas State, I, I don't expect either of them to make a run to it. But I have TCU listed as the ability to make the playoff because they have shown that they can win the Big 12, um, despite the fact nobody believes that they can. Well, they didn't win the Big 12, but they can make a run. They can make an undefeated regular season. They can, I think, this year win the Big 12. And, you know, Texas does have to play Alabama. Um, obviously, Texas and Oklahoma are going to have to play each other. I just, I I don't buy that this is Texas and Oklahoma's swan song to win the Big 12. Yeah, I would agree with you. I mean, I, I think, you know, TCU is, is is interesting because on the one hand, you know, I think a lot of people are going to say, and, 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 you know, it's a valid narrative to say that, oh, it was a one-year wonder. They're not going to make it back. Uh, um, they won a lot of close games at the end, right? You know, that close game regression always happens. Um, and, and on the one hand, that is true, right? I mean, I think, you know, they, they you know, congratulate, you know, you are what your record says you are, but, you know, wins are wins, but, you know, they, they won a lot of last minute games and then they, they were exposed in the, I mean, um, having said that, uh, the other, the flip side of that is, and I'm not saying they're going to make the championship or even the playoff because the big 12 is crazy, but the flip side of that is that they overachieved big time last year. I mean, it was Sonny Dyke's first year there. He had pretty much nothing in the cupboard. I mean, this isn't, it's not like he brought in a big transfer class that first year. I mean, he was basically working with the same route with a, with a QB in, in Max Duggan, who'd been there for a long time and, and didn't even start the season as the starter. So um, I don't know if it's going to happen this year or in the future, but it's very possible that, you know, even if, they they don't have the success they had and and they're not going to that this year or future years TCU teams under Sunny Dykes are actually better and more talented than than the team that went to the championship. Um and uh, yeah, Kansas State, I again I don't, you know, I don't I don't know if they're gonna win the Big Ten, but they um, you know, they're always in the mix. They're always a spoiler team. They love to, you know, sort of uh beat up on um yeah, really all those teams that we don't talk about in the Big 12, Kansas included, love to be spoiler teams for Texas and Oklahoma. So I would agree. I, th- I think the bigger pre- question for Oklahoma is, you know, the the job security of uh, Brent Venables, not not in this year, but in the sense of, you know, it, can he prove that he belongs as a head coach? Because they, they looked bad last year. They had that shutout to Texas late. And then Texas, um, yeah, they have good recruits at the quarterback position, but uh, you know, you have to put it together on the field. I don't even think, you know, I'm not sold that um, Quinn Ewers was, is going to be great. I people are acting like he, you know, before he got injured, it, it would have been a totally different season. I'm not sold of that either. So I'm with you on the big 12 and I'm with you on, on, on those two teams um, being overhyped. Yeah. And I mean, it's a big year, obviously um, for Texas and Oklahoma, those two teams are going to have a target on their back in every conference game as they leave. Um, and it's also a big year for them because this is a chance to make a statement before going into the SEC, which is... And and before we move on to to, to Tennessee and, and, and that tier, I just want to mention, you know, Clemson, you know, they can always make a run because of the ACC schedule. Um, and, um, but I'm, I'm not sold on Clemson either. You know, I, I think uh, we'll see what... You know, Cade Klubnik, I think, will probably be better than DJU, but, um, you know, they've regressed since becoming a championship team. We've seen Dabo um, not want to utilize the transfer portal, not sort of 
um, you know, be falling behind in terms of, you know, his coordinators and, and, and just other, other facets of, of being a head coach. And, um, you know, I, we, we gave us, we sort of gave Clemson the mulligan two years ago and said, okay, they'll, they'll be good last year. And, and they, they couldn't get it done when it mattered last year. They, they lost South Carolina at home and then they, um, and then they lost the bowl game to Tennessee. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm no longer putting Clemson in the elite uh, tier of college football teams. I need to see, um, I'm, I'm not giving, you know, they, they use their mulligan and I'm now convinced that they need to, by Clemson standards, they'll win eight games easily. But, but you know, if, if you play in the ACC and you're Clemson, are you a championship contender like you were uh, a few years ago? And the answer is no, in my opinion. Yeah, and you know, I, I largely agree with you on that. One of the things, um, there's a this class of teams um, that I don't think, our championship potential but you know as we've talked about have the ability to make the playoff and clemson is one of those notre dame is one of those and, and part of that is just the way the scheduling works out for them uh clemson is going right. to play games against north carolina who um is a potential sleeper team returning very good quarterback there they're going to play notre dame they're going to play florida state at least once um and clemson has all three of those games at home uh so that's you know the schedule works out well for Clemson. There is a decent chance. I think South Carolina is ranked at the end of the season oh, yeah. um, when Clemson goes away. And then, you know, for Notre Dame, that's another team that I personally don't think is an elite team. We saw them struggle in the beginning of last year, lost to Marshall. Um, but again, your Notre Dame, the schedule is one of those deceptive things where they're going to play Navy, Tennessee State, Central Michigan, Duke, Louisville, Wake Forest, Stanford, not not good teams. They're going to rack up wins, right. but they have the opportunity. First of all, they can lose to Ohio State um, and still claim victories over USC and Clemson later in the year. So there are three games there where if they win two of the three and they go 11 and one, Notre Dame's going to have an excellent shot at getting that four seed, I think. Um, no matter the actual talent level. And and as you said, Clemson has some airs. Um, Ohio State, this is going to be the fourth game of the season for Notre Dame, third game of the season for Ohio State. Um, and the USC game is home for Notre Dame. So it, it works in a way that, and, and they'll have Pitt, who could be ranked as well in that. It works in a way where at the end of the season, you look and Notre Dame has three wins over top 25 teams, two of them against top 10 teams. Uh, it, it works in their favor where they could end up much like Clemson having metrics that the recent committee has shown they care about um, right. for better and for worse. You know, that second, that next tier of teams, Tennessee um, leading the way on them. You know, I think this will be an interesting thing. I, I think Tennessee's win against Clemson in the bowl game, uh, showing Milton's arm off and showing right. accuracy off. Um, this will be interesting to see as Hypo enters in his, you know, this year, and I think, uh, you know, the AP has them ranked outside of the top 10. I think that that is another one of those natural biases that exist in these polls that you discount more than you should because there is some turnover, um, losing starting quarterback, for example. But I think that Tennessee is easily a top 10 team, but I don't think that they beat Georgia. But as we've discussed, Alabama has flaws and again, um, could be exposed. And so... I would not discount Tennessee to uh, possibly win that game again, but it's hard to see them win the SEC East when you look at the ease of Georgia's yeah. schedule um, and when you consider the fact that Georgia very much, I mean, completely controlled that game last year, and there's no reason to think that they won't do so again this year. 
Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think I think Tennessee is a team that probably deserves to be ranked in the top ten. Um, I, you know, like you said or alluded to, they do lose um, uh, the uh, quarterback's name who is uh, escaping me at the moment. Um, they lose um, what's the quarterback's name last year for Tennessee? Do you, do you not remember either? Um, he, he was a VTech transfer. Um, blah blah blah. I don't know. Um, I'll Google it. But they um, uh, no, not Joe Hendon, Hendon Hooker. There we go. Uh, they lose Hendon Hooker, who, despite me not remembering his name, was very good. Uh, they lose Jalen Hyatt, who was open for by twenty yards for about every play. But you know, this is kind of a plug and play offense to to some degree. I'm not saying they're going to be as good as they were last year, but um, it, you know, it's an offense that that is very much contingent on um on speed and despite it uh being you know you think oh it's it's relatively simple and and uh you know that does that sort of thing work in the sec they prove that it does i mean it, you know it, it's teams had trouble keeping up with that tennessee offense like you said i don't think it's going to get past georgia um but i i agree with you in the sense that i think the bowl game was impressive in terms of joe milton's uh development i, I can tell you that he came into michigan incredibly raw and never developed um, and he started, he was the starter for, um, Heupel's first season before Hendon Hooker took over because he was just overthrow. Milton was just overthrowing open deep balls like crazy. I mean, he has an insane arm, but maybe best in the country, but, but you got to be able to control it. Um, but he just needs to, to, to steady the ship here. And, um, if he developed and proved that he can do that and his lot of time sitting and, and learning, which it looked like if the bowl game is any indication, then he can. Now we'll see moving forward if he kind of swings back to these Jay Cutler, you know, overthrows like tendencies. But um, if not, the, you know, you're looking at a Tennessee team that's going to be competitive. Now, like you said, it's so hard in that SEC East. They and they are on the road. Uh, they go to the swamp this year. I don't think Florida's a good team, but that's still a tough place to play. And they go to Brian Denny this year. Those were their two biggest wins, and both those wins were at home. Um, and they also, um, you know, I, I think they have to be better on defense. And I think, you know, not only Hypo being an offensive coach, but when you play the speed that they do on offense, it just doesn't provide a lot of time to to rest defensively. Um, and they host uh, they host UConn as well. No, I'm just kidding. Um, that's not going to be a challenge for them. They do host them, though. Um, but, yeah, I, I expect Tennessee to be a, a top 10 team by the end of the year. But uh, like you said, I think that it's hard to get out of that schedule and and be one of the one of the four playoff teams. Yeah, you know, and, and on this topic of offenses, I, I think it's worth noting I don't have them in this tier of being able to make the playoff. Um, but it will be fascinating to see, and I have them at 17, and the AP has this team um, at 19. It'll be fascinating to see Wisconsin this year. I mean, Wisconsin's oh, yeah. going to have an air raid offense, Luke Fickle coming over there. I mean... One of the things here that we should we should say is that Wisconsin does have a path to the playoff because they don't play anybody non-conference and they have two teams that they're going to play in conference that are in the top 25. One of them is not going to be in the top 25 by the time they play them in Iowa. Uh, imagine that game, Wisconsin-Iowa, when Wisconsin has the air raid, not going to work out well for Iowa in all likelihood if Wisconsin is <laughs> able to put it together. Um, and they have Ohio State at home. And while I don't anticipate them beating Ohio State, I think that you could see Wisconsin lose two games relatively easily. Um, 
if we assume that you know Ludwig will even flits at the at a high intensity in terms of success um there's it'll be fascinating to see what happens in Madison at Camp Randall this year uh, and I think that fans are in for a shock um and the mm-hmm. Big Ten West is in for a brutal shock <laughs> yeah I, I love you bringing this up because I know you, you've had some some online spats with Wisconsin fans regarding uh their former coach and, and that style of offense and you're of course with the belief that you know the the uh the I the I formation huddle offense is not the um the best type of offense to run at the college football level but you know teams kind of hold on to it because of traditionalism but they 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 did away with Paul Christ and probably a lot of fans um, thought they shouldn't have done that and you know fans can be hold on to things for irrational reasons I was talking to a Bengals fan that said uh Marvin Lewis sh- should uh still be the coach uh, a couple days ago and I I'm still can't get it out of my head of how insane a take that is but putting that aside um uh Lewis is a good coach you know it's always a transition when you get to better school but he's a good coach he's a disciplined coach we saw what he did with Cincinnati um they're running an air raid as you said and I think their quarterback Tanner Mordecai um is a veteran and is a great fit for that system Tanner Mordecai um was at Oklahoma um behind one of their Heisman winners but he looked good in mop-up time didn't win the job so went to SMU looked really good there you know SMU got involved in a ton of shootouts the last few years so I'm with you I love that match of quarterback and system and I'm with you it is going to be wild to see Oklahoma running a a modern college NFL offense um and uh yeah that that could could you know the west does not had a much has not had much to offer but you know uh, like you said I I agree I think they're going to be in for a shock uh, with Wisconsin there. Yeah, it really will be fascinating to see what happens with the Badgers. Of course, um, last year that we're going to have the Big Ten West, and uh, you couldn't get two more conflicting styles between the two teams that um, are expected to compete for it. Although, as we know, it's wide open unless your name is Northwestern this year. Is is uh, is uh, Iowa being that other team? Iowa is is that other team. Um, I will tell you that I don't think it's unrealistic that Wisconsin will score more points in two games than Iowa's offense will score the entire season. They still they still didn't fire Brian Ferentz, right? They did not. Um, in fact, he has uh he has a new provision in his contract where if they score and don't quote me on the exact points, but I think it's something ridiculous like um Oh, essentially, it would rank them in like 80th of offenses. If they meet, it's like 20 points a game <laughs> or something. He will get his full bonus. Uh, it's ridiculous that, um, you know, that continues to exist at Iowa. It's something we've gone into before. Um, but the defense is stingy. If you can, you know, keep the other team below 10 points, Iowa's got a chance of winning the game. And they, they bring a kid McNamara, although he looks injured now. We'll see how that goes. But, you know, just to go off on a small tangent here, um, I've been watching uh, the oh, the Ohio State-Iowa game from 2017 uh, that oh, Iowa was a blowout. And, of course, that wasn't the norm for them that year. That was uh, one of those Urban Meyer kind of um, poop-the-bed sort of games. And I stopped myself from using a swear word there, so you don't have to edit that out. Um, but, but that game, you know, 2017, not that long ago, and it's interesting how quickly things change in college football. But, um, you know, watching that game is fascinating because uh, they had a quarterback in um, Nate Stanley who was a veteran, and they, they did something crazy in that game, and they threw the ball on first down. Uh, and that's not something that uh, Iowa has taken to doing at all recently. They were aggressive. Um, 
And I think they even ran a fake pun at one point. And you had the announcers talking about, you know, Brian Ferentz and how he and Kirk Ferentz have not gotten to the nepotism thing, how he's treated him as a coach and not a player. And uh, it's just interesting to look back on and see how quickly things can fall. And look, I don't, I can't imagine what it would be like to fire my son. I don't have a son, but if I did, you know, and I think that's one of the reasons you don't make those hires, but because that, that sounds like something that would, uh, you know, who, who could do that, but um, it's what the job demands. So, uh, and, and they, they want to shoot out at Iowa state that year. They won that game like 43 to 41. So, um, but not, not adjusting, not evolving um, with modern college football. And, you know, the West is so wide open that, you know, any sort of change could do that. But um, and and I think it's fine to be defensive first identity, but if, if your offense is so bad that you can't even get first downs, then a change isn't needed. But that's enough Iowa talk for the year, so let's move on. I I, I will just add Iowa. So Brian for um, his contract, he must first of all Iowa must win seven games and go to a potential bowl game. Uh, and second, which is nothing in the West, nothing in the West. Second, uh, his offense must average 25 points per game, which would have ranked number 85 nationally in 2022. Um, if those two things happen, his full contract will be a million dollars. If he fails to reach those, um, allegedly his contract will be terminated at the end of the academic year. Uh, we will see. Um, the last thing I want to hit on here, uh, and again, we're going to be a Homer podcast here, but the Tulane Green Wave come in. Uh, it's a new look American Athletic Conference. They return most of four out of five starters on their offensive line. They return Michael Pratt. They, of course, lose Ty J. Spears as well as um, Anderson on defense. You know, so there's some turnover, but also a solid recruiting class, solid transfer class. You're recru- you're returning the leadership of your team as well as um, the workhorses up front. And that means that the Tulane Green Wave, for the first time in their history, are ranked in the preseason AP and coaches poll at number 24. Um, In a lot of ways here, it will come down to Tulane and UTSA uh, and the American. They play each other in a regular season. Likely, they could easily play each other again in the American Conference Championship game. You may see Boise State back uh, in the Mountain West. Um, but really, I think what it comes down to is the winner of that Tulane UTSA potential two game series um, is going to be your group of five team. Tulane also has not an easy non-conference schedule. They're playing South Alabama, who's a favorite in the Sun Belt, and they're playing Ole Miss at home. Um, Ole Miss, you know, ranked number 22. So a big opportunity there for a statement win, much like that Kansas State game last year was. Um, but, you know, it's exciting. Terry, it, it fundamentally is exciting because this is a change in culture that we've followed. It's one thing to have a surprise year when you know you have the talent, but you have that dream season, including that dream Cotton Bowl win. Um, it's another thing now to be, you know, placed with expectation um, and it, it can be a hard thing and it will be really interesting to see how this group is able to respond. Totally agree. was really impressed with them last year. I mean, uh, cohesive played as a team, but also very talented. Um, and like you said, what is that added pressure due to them? Can they sustain it moving forward? Um, and, and, and then, I mean, UCF and, 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 uh, Cincinnati, did they already leave or is that a future thing? They're in the big 12. Okay, so they've already left. So, you know, there, there's no reason to think that, you know, Tulane couldn't or shouldn't be, you know, a contender in the in the new look American. Um, and and I 
those two teams in the Big 12 are going to be interesting as well. You know, could could see some old school uh, Big 12 shootouts. Now, um, I, I find the rounding out the top 25 here, I, I find this bottom five really interesting. Um, you know, uh, you mentioned Oregon State earlier, so I'll just circle back to them. They're a team that um, they've built gradually but have improved steadily over the years and are in a good place right now. DJU, yeah. he's got a chip on his shoulder. Yeah, and 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 I think um, I think it's a good landing spot for DJU because they're they're a defensive first team. Um, they run I unless something changed, they run more of a pro style offense. Don't ask the quarterback to do too much, and and I think that's a better fit for DJU. I mean, we saw him improve as a runner last year, but I think at his core, he he's a pocket passer and he's a bit of a slow processor. He's a bit deliberate. Um, you know, just his release, his body type. I, I don't think he's really built for a spread, get it out of your hand super quickly kind of guy. I think he's a throw it 20 times and have a couple of play action shots. And I think Oregon state's a good landing spot for him in that respect. Um, and, and we look, we've seen them have really bad quarterback play and still win games in the past. So, um, ha- and then, um, let's see South Carolina, I, I would expect them to finish the season ranked much higher than, than where they are right now. I mean, uh, the the coach there, Shane Beamer, has done a really good job. Um, they are they're a solid team, and they, um, you know, at home Saturday night, people kind of overlook that Saturday night, uh, South Carolina is one of the toughest places to play. I mean, in, in the SEC, I mean, it's you know, uh, it's, maybe it's not LSU, but it's it, it's up there. And you saw you saw what how they came on late last year. Uh, I believe Spencer Rattler is coming back, and you saw um, what they did to Tennessee at that time, which pretty much ruined Tennessee's season and. Um, you know, uh, Tennessee totally laid an egg, but, but Spencer Rattler in that game, I mean, that was, that was the Spencer Rattler we've been expecting to see for three years now. That was, that was the number one, you know, recruit kind of talent that Spencer Rattler has had, you know, and, and, um, in the sense that you'd see that from in the NFL from Jay Cutler every once in a while, where he'd have, he'd have this just amazing game and it'd be like, why, why is he like stunk for the past five years? So if, if Spencer Rattler can continue that level of play, um, I, I would fully expect South Carolina to be ranked higher, um Kentucky has to replace Will Levis so we'll see how that goes um and uh and Ole Miss here um and uh I'm bad with names today what's uh, what's that coach's name um whose face I can see but not uh not his name um Lane Kiffin yes Lane Kiffin thank you um you know Ole Miss Brendan I think it was it was last year or the year before where they started like really strong and then just totally lost most of their games to finish the season. I mean, what, you know, what's going on with Lane Kiffin is can, what, you know, are they just going to continue to throw away opportunities in, in that competitive SEC? I mean, Lane Kiffin, it's a, it's a matter of, um, I guess you could call it maturity. And so it will be an interesting yeah. thing to see. We've not seen that conversion um, happen throughout the season. Uh, and, and being, being a head coach, I mean, you know, Lane Kiffin's offense can, as a as a coordinator, you know, can compete with anyone. Similar to um, Dan Mullen, right? Dan Mullen, as an offensive mind, can scheme up an offense that can compete with anyone. But to your point, I think um, being a head coach is different than just knowing the X's and O's. Is it's about culture and it's about um, how do you you know ride the waves of emotions and and keep those young men at a steady level. So um, to continue your point there, I would agree with you. Yeah, it will be really interesting to see um, what happens with... I mean, it's always interesting to see what happens with Lane Kiffin. Um, 
But uh, I, I think Ole Miss is a top 25 team, but I, I don't expect them to, to make major noise. But again, they play Alabama tough and Alabama's down um, possibly. So that's a, that's a potential thing to always circle there. Carrie, it is time for the great return of the RPO pick six. And as the returning champion, I'm looking forward to my repeat this season. Uh, we have a bunch of, well, we have six week zero games. We kind of actually had to go to the bottom of the barrel for some of these because it is week zero. Um, but, we have uh, we're going to start off with something that's fun um, of the major changes. I, I, I just want to say regarding this, and uh, I, I had the lead at the end of the season last year. And then you and then and then we picked these like every single bowl game. We went through all 60 of those absolutely meaningless bowl games on that two hour podcast that no one listened to, that no one watched any of those bowl games. And because of that, you you slipped ahead in the end. So, um, you know, you are the champion. But but that was, I just want to bring that up that uh, that was that was a little silly to pick all a hundred whatever bowl games. And we'll and pick them, them again because these are the rules that we follow, the rules that we made up as we went. Um, let's start off with something fun here, Terry. We have a, a couple new FBS teams, um, and one of them making their debut, also a conference game this season. The Jacksonville State Gamecocks from Alabama, not from Florida, uh, taking on the UTEP Miners. Jack State first game in the FBS against UTEP. Who you got? Um, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to give me spreads for these games because I, I have no idea about any of these games, and I'm not gonna pretend I do. I got nothing. You're just gonna have to make a pick blind because that's what I'm doing. All right. Um. So. UTEP versus Jackson State. Uh, it's about Jacksonville even. State. Jacksonville State. Excuse me. Um, Jacksonville State is plus one. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, I'm gonna. I don't know. Flip a coin and I'll go. I'll go UTEP. I'm gonna just go Jacksonville. Went, just because you went Jackson State. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go Jacksonville State. Just because it's their first game. Uh, let's go out to the West Coast. San Jose State, USC. I mean, this is easy. This is easy, and I like I like easy. Uh, so I'm gonna go with USC. Yeah, don't USC. Um, who I've I've well, we'll talk about that on another podcast. But I don't like USC. But let's <laughs> let's go on. Uh, let's go to an FCS matchup, and there's a reason why this one's on there. Uh, South Carolina State, solid program most of the time. Uh, taking on the post Dion Sanders Jackson State, uh, who you got in Jackson State's first game post Dion? Oh, that's that's Jackson State. Uh, I thought I was mixing it up with Jacksonville State. Uh, not not a I'm not a big Week Zero uh, guy. Just people in case you haven't noticed. Uh, South Carolina State versus Jackson State. Uh, yeah, let's give Dion the win here. Jackson State is that giving Dion the win if he's no longer there? Um, that said, uh, Jackson State's going to have to break in a bunch of new players, coaches. I, I mean, I'm going to oh, go. Oh, he's not there. You're right. Sorry. Okay. I'm changing my We did a whole podcast on Deion Sanders. Yeah. We had a Colorado. Come I'm on, brain is, My brain is mush these days. I'm, uh, let's go South Carolina I'm on State. a three-year three year time delay. I'm, I'm living in 20, 2020 still. We're going to go uh, South Carolina State on that one for me. Um I'm going South Carolina State too. Oh, you can't make the change now that you yeah. you just remembered. No, no, no that's not a, yeah. fine. Nope. fine. But South if it comes Carolina. down to one point, this is like Florida in 2000 all over again. Um, 
let's go over to Vanderbilt. No longer is not going to have to make the large travel out to Hawaii. They did that last year, but this year Vanderbilt gets Hawaii at home. Vanderbilt, hey, they let's let's just be honest. Vanderbilt actually was pretty impressive in Clarkley's second year. Um, just you know, missing out on bowl eligibility of five and seven, I believe. I think that's a team that could, you know, it's hard to win conference games for Vanderbilt, but hey, um, you got Missouri, you got Kentucky on the schedule. I mean, Florida is not looking great. That's there's an opportunity there for uh, a Vanderbilt team to potentially go bowling. Uh, They're going to handle Hawaii. They handled them last year. They're going to handle them this year. Yeah, I would agree. And and, and like you said, Vanderbilt was actually was actually pretty good by their standards last year. So uh, see, see what that looks like. Uh, you know, feel good story last year, uh, too, was the team from New Mexico State uh, making, I believe, a bowl appearance. Uh, yeah, but seven and six team that historically has been terrible um, making a bowl appearance and I believe maybe winning their bowl game for the first time. Um, and what it is only described as many, 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 many years. They beat Bowling Green in the Quick Lane Bowl. Um this year, they're starting off against perennial, also bottom feeder, the University of Massachusetts, many Minutemen. Uh, Terry, this used to be what would have been considered the bottom tens game day pillow fight of the century of the year of the decade. Uh, New Hampshire State on the up and up. I think they're going to win. Uh, I would agree. I couldn't tell you one player on either of these teams or what style offense that either of them run. And then finally... The big game from Dublin, Ireland, which makes absolutely no sense because Notre Dame is in the middle of the Midwest. Uh, Notre Dame playing. But they are the Irish in. in, in Don't get me started uh, on that. Don't get me started on that. Uh, Notre Dame, <laughs> Navy, live from Dublin. Navy is supposed to be god awful this year. Notre Dame, of course, is a team that we have put as a possible college football playoff um, team. But last year, uh, they were not good in the first month of the season outside of that Ohio State game to begin the season where both teams weren't clicking yet. But it's just hard to see Notre Dame not, not I mean, just destroying Navy. Yeah, I have questions about Marcus Freeman. I like the guy. I like him a lot more than I like Brian Kelly, but I have questions about him as that coach. But, um, yeah, I Navy is – it's been a rough rough couple of years in Navy and I don't, I don't know that Notre Dame's going to win this by as much as they should but they're going to win it and part of that you never know when you're traveling 3,000 miles uh on a cross-Atlantic flight I mean I guess uh that won't be an unusual thing for the future Big Ten Conference next year but hey these are college kids um you never know but really hard to see Notre Dame not uh walking through that game uh this is exciting Kerry we've got football this weekend uh we didn't do an extra point because i have a surprise extra point extra point for you um it's a nascar extra point that you can earn bubba wallace is in the final playoff position he's got a 32 point lead is bubba wallace make the playoffs now that the regular season is ending saturday night simple yes or no for your bonus point harry sure yeah i think you will too um and then pick a number between one and 99 for who you think is going to win the race? Uh, 42. That probably was not a great pick, but all right, 42 it is. Um, is. I'm going to go 
let's go with the 12 car, Ryan Blaney. Um, all right, Terry, we got football. We got the end of the NASCAR regular season, and then uh, we'll have a lot better games coming into Labor Day. And hey, we're going to be together for Labor Day. We're going up to Penn State to watch uh, my Mountaineers play the Penn State Nittany Lions. So uh, be able to do a, a great episode after that as well. But we'll have one before that. Um, thanks again for taking time to listen to us. This has been another episode of Run Pint Option. Remember, send us an email, subscribe, share with your friends. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Terry, the number 42 car this week i think is actually driven by uh josh barry but what you should know about the 42 car is uh the guy that had been driving it for the whole season just got fired because he liked a racist meme uh like a month ago and so he got fired you told me to pick a number bro that's funny it's just funny of all the numbers you could have picked (laughs) i can't like express how little to you i care about nascar i I can't believe you even put that in the podcast i mean so we're now it's hardly hardly even a sport honestly if we're being honest it's it's a a, i don't even know what to call it um we've we've talked about it enough but i am excited for the penn state west virginia game um are there going to be other west virginia fans near us or are we going to be like in a sea of uh what blue uh well we might be in